Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode, Jack and I sit down with Brett Kochuba of the option research company Spot Gamma to discuss how options are impacting the market and individual stocks. From the importance of option expiration dates to option hedging and flows and their impact to option positioning and volatility, these are just a few of the areas Brett works through to help us understand the importance of options. Throughout the video, we've inserted slides so that investors can see these in charts and visuals. If you're not familiar with some of the basic option terminology, we encourage you to go back to episode 137 with Jason DiLorenzo for a refresher. As always, thank you for listening. Please enjoy this discussion with Spot Gamma's Brent Kochuba. Oh, one last thing. With this video, you may want to watch it on YouTube since there's so many charts and visuals that Brett references throughout the discussion. Hey, Brent, how are you? Thank you for jumping on with us today. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you guys. We actually all three of us have something in common. And I think it's the first time that this has happened on our podcast. And that is we actually all went to the University of Connecticut up at stores. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I hesitate to ask when you guys graduated because I don't want to find out that I'm the oldest person in the room. That seems to happen a lot lately. No, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Th- I, don't I don't think you are. Um, uh, so that's good. Um, always good to talk to a fellow uh, UConn, UConn alum. So, uh, you know, go Huskies for sure. That's right. Yeah. We wanted to um, have you on today to talk about the importance of option in today's market. And I think maybe more importantly, what investors may want to be paying attention to um, regarding options and flows and what that might mean um, for the markets over time. You've sent us some really great slides and we're going to work through a lot of those um, in this discussion. So I think these visuals are going to supplement um, a lot of these concepts and help our listeners and viewers sort of understand um, what's happening in the options market um, and flows and in the market in general. Um, but before we get into that, um, I just want to ask you a little bit more about your background. What got you into options and and um, can you talk about your company Spot Gamma a little bit? Sure. So I, I graduated uh, UConn and then I went basically to work for Bank of America in New York. I was on the equity trading desk, it was called program trading and basically we traded baskets of stocks. Uh, this was kind of at the birth of algorithms like the VWAPs and things like that. Uh, so I did that for about five years and, and then transitioned onto a, a role on the derivatives desk. And so I was an options broker, uh, did a lot with uh, options trading, uh, excuse me, electronic options trading. Uh, from there, went to Credit Suisse for a while. Same thing. I was a broker there. And then I was at Wolverine, who's an options market maker. Uh, so I was, a, again, a broker there. And, and throughout my experience, I was mostly covering buy side hedge fund clients. So big pension funds. Uh, you know, brand name sort of hedge funds is, is uh, who I would talk to on a daily basis. And, and then from there, I went to a family office and I worked for a, uh, a fellow that was trying to start an options strategy. So uh, he was a pretty sophisticated options trader. I did a lot of modeling for him and was kind of his executing, you know, uh, broker, his executing trader, excuse me. Uh, and I learned really there to, to focus on the way that the options market could impact underlying stocks. So even though we only traded the S&P 500, if you could see how options could potentially shift the way that the S&P 500 moved, it really opened my eyes to the fact that, man, that could really be happening in single stocks. I mean, the S&P is a, what is it, a $5 trillion 
there's $5 trillion or something like that index, the S&P 500. And so if you can see the, the effect of options in that market, um, then that really opened my eyes to, the, to, to a, really a broader impact. Um, so around the pandemic, unfortunately, the family office shut down um, and I took all these options models that I had built and I launched Spot Gamma, and that was in January of 2020. And, and uh, since then, we've been providing a, a, a subscription service where you can get uh, daily insights from us. So I write a, a, an analysis twice a day, and we have all sorts of different tools to basically analyze the way the ways that options could be impacting the way that stocks are moving. That's great. I mean, you know, that's kind of a story of a you know new company coming out of the depths of the pandemic, and you know, that's you're a perfect example of someone that's done that and. Um, it's good that you were able to kind of lift these those models out of there that, you know, were your intellectual property, you probably developed the majority of them. So, um, you know, reusing that stuff is is good for sure. Yeah, th- thanks. And it was, a, you know, it was a, the, the family that I work for is primarily in real estate. And uh, we were just kind of talking about this before we started that that, that March of 2020, you know, you think back, I mean, can not, now you kind of discount like how uncomfortable that was for all of us kind of locked in our houses and stores closing. And, and it was real kind of like an Armageddon scenario. And uh, but the markets were still trading. And, and out of that came really just this explosion in options volume, um, you know, just record options volume across the board. Uh, it's the it's the story that everyone knows of of stimmies right in everyone's pockets and access to Robin Hood. And, and uh, so options volume spiked. And and unfortunately, spot game was well positioned, right, to, to to analyze all that. I mean, with GameStop and all these types of events, you know, people came to see the really the effect that options can have on stocks. And so um, it, it's been an interesting ride for us because we went from trying to convince people that it was possible for options to drive stocks to to sort of pointing out now other stocks that that are driving them. I, mean, I think a lot of people just now accept now that that there is a lot of impact from from options. So just playing off that, can you kind of Give us some context around how important the option flows actually are to moving the market. Like, for like, how much of the daily flows would uh, that that are happening are actually caused by options and option dealers? It's really just to try to get some context around the size of the options complex. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and and so I would start off by saying there there's certain stocks or certain indices where there's very consistent uh, options flow that systematically just rolls. So the S&P 500, Spiders, QQQ, uh, Apple, Tesla, a lot of those names, there's just, it's like a clock. You know, the, the options flow continues. Uh, upon expiry, people just roll their trades out. Um, there's a there's a, a well-known fund, JP Morgan Hedge Fund, for example, that a lot of people talk about. If you Google JP Morgan Collar, you can find out about this. It's a, it's a, it's a basically what they do is they, are long equities in the fund, right? Long stocks. And so what they do is they sell a call, for example, and they use that to buy a put spread. And they do that every quarter, right? They just systematically roll that out. And so you'll see a ton of volatility on those days. It's a very simple you know, way for people to sort of verify some of what I'm saying. Um, so there's those, again, consistent names that there's always a big options complex and we can measure those flows. And then there's other names where the options flow becomes more of like a flash, right? Uh, in that you can see a bunch of call volumes come in or put volumes come in. Sometimes it's an intraday thing. Other times it's a little more of a, a like Twitter, for example. There's been a lot of options trading around, you know, all of that news. Um, but but that other options flow will come in and then it will sort of subside and it won't be impactful. So um, what I'm trying to get at is that we don't think that all options control all names all the times. Uh, there's certain names where it's a major impact, like the names I mentioned. And then there's other times where uh, the, the flow will suddenly come in and you can see, you know, really an impact from that. 
when thinking about like options and positioning and time frames in the market, are options mostly are they more useful for more short term oriented um, sort of market movements or stock movements, or is there um, some indication that they can be used like with more medium or longer term type of indicators or trends on underlying indices or stocks? I mean, what's the really just what is the time horizon that these options types of data can be looked at? And is it more short term or more uh, can it be more mid or long term or both? It, it's it's both. It's, it's a great question. And so I, I would guess if I could, the, the way that we look at the impact of options market is through a dealer or market maker hedging perspective. And so I think if we just frame the conversation, maybe first that and that would help me answer your second question is that if I was an options market maker and, and Justin and Jack, you guys were going to buy some options. Uh, let's say that you were interested in buying calls in Tesla. If you two buy calls from me as a market maker, I'm suddenly short calls, right? And, and so if the stock goes up, I'm going to start losing money. You guys are happy because the market's going up. Your calls are making money, but my calls are, are losing money and I'm being hurt. So the way that I would hedge myself is to buy shares of Tesla stock. And there's these options models you can look at that tell you how much stock I need to buy. And, and as the stock goes higher, how much more stock I have to buy, et cetera. But basically, that's how we can model um, what the impact is of options on the actual underlying stock. So you can imagine that on if someone goes on the Wall Street Bets board, for example, and say, let's all go buy you know, AMC right now, and everyone starts flooding the market with calls, how options market makers suddenly have to buy millions of shares of stock, and that could really lift the stock price of AMC. Now, we can also model when those calls are going to expire, right? Because the call open interest data, um, that is like the, the date of, of the option that Justin, you and Jack bought, I know it's public information that those options are going to expire, say, on, on June 17th, right? And so I can start to assess and model how much flows are going to come into and out of the market, how much hedging flows or how much market makers hedging responsibilities change with uh, the way that expirations uh, approach and, and the size at different expirations. So back to sort of your original question. Um, I don't know if you guys, you probably heard of the Pelosi trade, right? These were these were famous trades because she likes to buy uh, concentrated positions in leaps, right? Long dated options in tech stocks. So she'll throw five million bucks into, you know, Roblox or uh, Micron or a bunch of these other kind of tech names. And that's her exposure to the equity market, right? Because rather than buying say $50 million worth of Roblox stock, she can spend a million dollars on the calls that expire in a year and still get great upside exposure um, if the market rallies. And so that's an interesting strategy that a lot of wealth advisors use to buy what's called leaps. And what's so interesting is if you remember in January of this year, the market in mid-January just took a real nosedive, right? Like it was very sharp sell-off right into mid-January. And what had happened is that there was a lot of people positioned in these longer dated calls, right? The January, usually January sits alone as like, if you really want to buy a long dated call, typically the longest call, longest dated call you could buy is going to be the January, you know, 2023 option right now, or there'll be a January 2024 option. So if you're a longer term investor, you want to buy that longer term leap January call. So what had happened is there's all these wealth advisors and other people who want the long term exposure in a whole variety of stocks, Tesla, Apple, et cetera. And the market had gone up so much over the past, uh, in 2021, that these calls had accrued a massive value, right? They were worth, uh, I, we had written an in-depth article, so I don't have the figure in me, but, but billions and billions of dollars worth of call values, right? 
And so what happened is the third January of of uh, the third Friday in January of this year, all those calls were set to expire, right? So all these deep in the money calls had to be hedged out in some fashion. And so basically as expiration approached, all these calls are removed, right? They're, ex they're expired, they're no longer in the market. And so all these dealers or people that had hedged this flow, because remember, if, if Justin and Jack, your long calls or Nancy Pelosi's long calls, market makers are short calls, or deals are short calls and they're going to be long a bunch of stock as a hedge and suddenly january expiration hits the calls are gone right they settle but the market makers still have this long stock hedge that they need to dump on the market and so there you can see and you can look at a chart of the spiders or something like that there you can see that the market actually dropped right into that january expiration uh and it dropped sharply so that was a very long-winded explanation <laughs> or approach to your, your question there, but I want to give sort of the background of the framing of how to think about this, that there are people who are trading in all different expirations, all different tenors, right? Uh, some people in, like to trade in the money options and out of the money options. And, and from our perspective, we kind of roll all that up and monitor where those flows are set to change. So again, big calls are, expect, uh, big calls are set to expire in January, excuse me. And so that could mean that dealers in that case had to sell a whole bunch of uh, of long stock and, and that could have a big impact on the market. You have a slide, uh, options hedging flows drive markets. And I think this is this is a good time to bring that in sort of to, to talk about this because in, in the slide, you're sort of showing all the options that are outstanding and how important it is, you know, at certain levels that there's there are many more options outstanding than other levels. So can you kind of talk about this and how this might impact flows in the market? Definitely. So the way that we measure the options position in any stock or index, and in this case, this is the uh, SPX that we're looking at in the QQQs, is that we measure it on a gamma basis. And basically what gamma is, is the rate of change of delta. It's a very complicated term, but basically that tells us how much, uh, notionally speaking, dealers will have to buy or sell for a given move in the stock, right? So gamma tells us if the stock goes up 1%, roughly how much notionally my dealers have to buy of a certain stock or index and vice versa. If the stock declines 1%, how many dollars will, will market makers need to sell? So what we can do is we can aggregate the gamma by strike. And basically what that tells us is rather than looking at an open interest chart, if we weight things by gamma, it tells us from a hedging perspective where the most important strikes are. And we would expect that hedging flows to increase as the market trades in and around these key levels. So in this case, there is a whole bunch of open interest uh, in, in gamma weighted interest, we call it at 300 in the queues and today's Friday, May 20th, and 4,000 uh, in the SPX. Those are the monster levels that we've been watching here. In this case, they've been resistance zones over the past several days. Uh, and that's because that we believe that as the market approaches these levels, hedging flows from, from dealers and market makers pick up and that causes a reaction in the underlying uh, in the underlying market. And, and the same phenomenon works in, in single stocks as well. So is the idea basically that those will end up being sort of pins for the market or they'll be are those like levels that are very difficult to penetrate through? But then if you do penetrate through, you might move a lot. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, it, it depends on whether the interest is evenly weighted or evenly distributed between calls and puts or if it's very heavily weighted to, to say, puts or calls. So in this environment, a lot of the strikes that we see are put heavy, right? There's not very many calls in the market at this moment. And so you're less likely to get a pinning phenomenon because the, the flow is very one-sided tied to tied to puts. And if you look at the distribution here on this particular chart, like in the queues, we, we show there's 200 million notional in the puts at 
at the 300 strike and only about 50 to 75 million notional of cues on the call side. So it's very, again, heavily weighted to puts. And so that speaks to more uh, directional swings and volatility. So we'd expect that as the market comes up to, to 300 or 400, that that would bring a whole bunch of, uh, of basically a shorting flows uh, or, or sort of the removal of, of it's probably better to frame it as uh, that dealer buying subsides as, as the market approaches uh, 300. Can you talk about this idea? You mentioned this idea of aggregate gamma across all the dealers. And, you know, this is something I've just learned about a lot this year, but because we've had negative gamma a lot, but can you talk about this idea of what positive gamma is and what negative gamma is and how that impacts sort of the way options are, are playing a role in the market? Absolutely. So when um, some of this involves some underlying assumptions about how we think dealers are positioned, but, but basically if you own an option, you are long gamma. Um, and basically what that means is you make money as the, as the stock goes up, right? Or as the stock goes down, um, if you are short gamma, if you're short options, you'd be short gamma. And so the way that you hedge either a long gamma position or a short gamma position is, is different. Um, if you, if you're in a long gamma position, as the market goes up, for example, you would start to sell stock. And that's because if you own an option, let's say you own a call as the market goes up, your call is increasing in value. Right. And so if you want to hedge that out, you would start to sell shares of stock against that to lock in that gain. Does that make sense? Now, conversely, if you were short the call option, uh, you would be doing the opposite. Right. If you're short the call option and the stock is going up, basically what you'd have to do is you would have to buy stock to hedge yourself. Right. To hedge. So if you think about a dealer who could be short millions of options as the market goes up, they're going to be buying stock as the as the market goes up. And that's going to make the market arguably go up faster. So in a negative gamma position, or when we say that it's a negative gamma environment, we look for more volatility. And that is because as the market is going up, dealers have to buy stock. And as the market starts to go down, they're going to start selling stock, right? And, and they're not necessarily the trigger to make stocks go up or down. But for example, after earnings, if, if Tesla's earnings are great and everyone wants to start buying, uh, buying Tesla shares, well, then dealers got to start buying Tesla shares too, right? So that, that compounds volatility. And in a similar sense, think about it from the put side, right? In this environment here, everyone's worried about an extended decline in the market. So we all want to hedge our portfolio and we buy puts. When you guys buy puts, I sell them to you. Since I'm short puts, I'm in a negative gamma position. So as the market starts to drop, I need to start selling futures or selling shares, right? And that makes the market drop faster. And conversely, if the market starts to rally, we have a bear market rally. Suddenly, I got to buy back those short futures. Because think about it. If I'm short, let's say I'm short... 10 puts and short 100 shares of stock. Well, if the market rallies sharply, my puts are going to gain in value, but I'm still short all these shares, right, that are going to be really hurting me. So I have to buy back those shares to remain balanced. And so this is the, the idea of negative and positive gamma. Essentially, the takeaway from this is that in a, when we say there's a positive gamma environment, dealer flow would suppress volatility, right? Because again, uh, as the market goes up, positive gamma, I'm going to be selling futures as the market goes up. And if the market goes down, I'm going to be buying futures. So that suppresses volatility in a positive game environment. Um, conversely, again, in that idea of if I'm short puts in a negative game environment, I'm, I'm as dealers are, dealer flow is going to be expanding volatility. That's because as the market goes down, dealers are selling futures. That makes the market go down faster. And as the market starts to rally and turn around, dealers got to buy all those futures back. So you get much bigger movement. And, and you can see that there's a chart here. If you look at, at slide five, we plot this out for you. So on the x-axis here, we call it our gamma index. And you'll note that when the, when the gamma index is very positive, when it's a high positive gamma environment, when I say high, it means there's a big notional, positive notional gamma. The volatility, the one day return, which is the y-axis, is very small, right? 
Uh, and conversely, to the left side there in a big negative gamma environment, when there's big negative gamma notional positions, the volatility in the S&P 500 is very large. So you can see that distribution really lays that out pretty clearly. Um, and, and it's a lot of kind of complicated verbiage here, but, but if you just think about it from, you know, uh, from the simple idea that negative gamma means high volatility, positive gamma means low volatility, that's, that's kind of an easy way to, to frame it. And, and you wouldn't know it from this year, but positive gamma is usually the more likely scenario, right? That, that happens a lot more than having negative gamma, although this year I think we've been negative almost the whole year. Yeah, and historically that's true. I mean, and the reason that we believe that is because, you know, if you look at certainly the last, even post, post the great financial crisis, right, uh, the markets have been very resilient. They bounced back very fast. You know, I think we set 72 new highs in the S&P or something like that last year. And so one of the most common strategies for big pension funds and, and the really large asset managers is call overriding. So they own stocks and they'll sell, you know, uh, 2%, 3% out of the money S&P calls as a way to generate more yield on their portfolio. It's a very common strategy, as you guys know, for single stockholders. A lot of, you know, retirees like to do this as well to bring in a little bit extra income on their, you know, on their dividend stocks, that kind of thing. Um, and so what's interesting in that scenario is that if you're selling calls in the S&P 500 uh, as an investor or as a, you know, an Apple, I think this is another common strategy, that means by and large dealers and market makers are buying calls from people, right? Because again, it's this idea of positive and negative gamma. So typically we view the S&P as being in a positive gamma environment um, when there's a lot of calls in the marketplace. And that, that kind of suppresses volatility and almost keeps the cycle going, right? Because volatility is low, um, that gives people more confidence to stay invested in the market. We continuously get passive flows in the market and we just kind of grind higher. And again, it's this call overriding that does that because dealers are gonna be long calls in general. And so as the market goes up, they're gonna lightly be selling some futures. But conversely, as the market starts to decline, they can buy some of those futures back. And it's that buying of futures as the market declines uh, that, that really supports, uh, supports market and kind of keeps that bull trend going. Now, in this environment, it's a different scenario because people are buying puts, right? And that, and that thrusts us into a very volatile environment. On, on, the to on the topic of volatility, I think one of the things investors don't follow as much is this idea of the difference between implied volatility and realized volatility and how that sort of relates to the VIX, which is what people see a lot. So can you kind of talk about what, you know, what the VIX measures and what the difference between implied volatility and realized volatility is? Absolutely. So what the, what the uh, VIX is measuring specifically is the volatility, the estimated volatility of the S&P 500 index. And that's calculated, um, again, implied as is the word that you use. And that's estimated. So the way the VIX is calculated is it looks at all available options in the S&P 500 over the next 30 days. And there's some math behind it, but basically they look at the value of all those options, the implied volatility, and, it, and from that is derived the VIX index which again, forecast basically how much volatility traders are expecting. So the simplest way to get something useful out of the VIX in my mind is to divide it by 16. It's called the rule of 16. So if you divide VIX, which is currently around, let's just say 32 to make math easy on me. If you divide the 32 VIX by 16, you get 2%, right? 2% is what the market is pricing in for an average daily move. Right. So if I wanted to say, hey, what is the VIX? What is the market expecting or what's the mar market pricing for a daily move in the S&P? Bam, divide VIX by 16 and it's 2 percent. So now, OK, now I have an idea of what the market is pricing for a move. And I could say, OK, is the FOMC going to speak or, you know, is there something going on that maybe adds a little bit of premium to the VIX in this case? Uh, or in a situation here, the question is, why isn't the VIX arguably priced higher? Right. Because there's so much calamity in the market. 
Um, now you brought up also realized volatility. So realized volatility is a measurement of how much the market has moved. You'll call it, some people call it historical volatility. And, and you can look at that on a one month basis, a 30 day basis, and uh, compare that to the VIX and say, okay, right now realized volatility action in the S&P is up around 30. So that would say that based on the way the market's been trading, the VIX at 30 makes some sense, right? Because the, the VIX is, say, is simply saying, we think that traders think there's going to be as much volatility in the future or in the near future as we've had over the last 30 days. Um, and so I would say that you could say the fair value for the VIX right now is probably pretty close to 30 because that's how much movement we've seen in the market. That's how much realized volatility there's been. Incidentally, if you want to check out realized volatility, if you just Google uh, S&P Global, uh, one month realized volatility, you look up that term, the S&P 500, excuse me, the S&P Global has a nice realized volatility chart that you can check out. Does one of them typically lead the other? You know, I, I remember like last year, I think a lot of times implied volatility would spike, but then realized would not come up. But then I think if I'm correct, like this year, realized has actually gotten above implied to some degree um, in some of this volatility. So does, is there any relationship you can sort of predict based on one versus the other? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great insight there. And I think what that is, is is the environment that we're in. I mean, historically, you know, certainly over the last two years or post the the, the pandemic crash there, uh, the, the the buy the dip mentality, you know, was very quick. Any dip that was really offered in almost any equity or any stock, any index. I mean, you know, the, the mean reversion was so fast. And, and that ultimately leads realized volatility to come way down, right? You get like one or two days maybe of some volatility, but then suddenly, you know, markets rally right back, right, to, to where they were trading and, 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 the, and the rise resumes. Um, and typically also when the market is going higher, the volatility just again comes down. Part of it is that negative, uh, excuse me, part of it is that positive gamma dynamic I was mentioning before. But generally when the market's going higher, you don't have as much volatility in the market, right? Maybe we go up 25 basis points one day and 50 the next day, but it's not the same environment as today where you get two and three percent moves every single day. I mean, someone pointed out the other day, I think it was yesterday, that even though the market, I think, closed up maybe 10 or 20 basis points, I think we had something like eight one percent intraday moves. Right. So like, yeah, the market closed flat if you just look at the close to close basis. But inside of that is just really a ton of volatility. Um, so so kind of back to your point here, the, the realized volatility, in our view, is a, is a big part of this positioning. Right. Um, all of the positions in the market from the options perspective are these big put positions and puts are very sensitive to implied volatility. So as, as implied volatility, i.e. the VIX moves up and down, the values of puts are changing rapidly. Uh, but also it's this negative gamma dynamic that makes dealers have to chase the market as the market rallies and as the market declines. So all of that movement is keeping realized volatility high and there's nothing to really reduce that forward volatility. There, in other words, there's nothing to reduce the volatility until these positions go away. So like when, when these big put positions are removed from the market, then you could see realized volatility come down. And what's kind of interesting about the VIX is that because the VIX is forward looking, right? The VIX is, is predicting what's gonna happen in the market. Um, it can start to discount uh, movement. So uh, let me give you an example, right? If, if, if today suddenly Powell comes out and goes like, uh, you know what, I'm going to stop hiking rates. Suddenly, I think the market would rally pretty sharply, right? And probably in a matter of days, we would rally maybe 5 to 10% in the market and volatility in general would just come crashing down, right? Because suddenly we can reprice what we think is going to happen in the future. And it would take a while for realized volatility, at least on a one-month basis, to, to kind of come down and track under that. Um, so 
again, I'm a very ver verbose explanation here of saying like, you know, realize is trapped as a, as a calculation as to as a trailing window, right, of what has occurred. Whereas volatility is a forward looking estimate of traders who, who yes, they're looking at how much volatility there has been. In other words, the realized volatility, but we can also add a predictive element in there or, or can react and or I should say it can react faster, um, you, know, you know, because it's a forward looking estimate. We're talking to you on an options expiration day. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of times these op options expirations can be major turning points in the market. Um, and, and so we want, we're going to go through a couple options expirations and how they affected the market. We're going to look at March 2020 and we're going to look at the current situation. But before we do that, I want to just maybe talk about options expirations for people who don't know. So how often do options expirations happen? You know, what happens on that day? Or are certain op expirations more important than others? Can you just give us the background on expirations? Absolutely. So on the third Friday um, of every month is a, usually a fairly sizable options expiration. And historically, it's the third Friday um, that captures the most, uh, the biggest options flow. And basically what happens is there are all these contracts that expire on expiration day. Now what the exchanges have done is they've added many more sort of shorter term expirations. So, so there, are, uh, there are expirations now every single Friday, but it's typically the third Friday of the month that has the bigger expirations. And, and basically what happens is th there are these big call positions or put positions, and depending on how the market is trading, uh, when, these, when these options expire, when these contracts go away, uh, there are still these big hedging positions that we talked about before that need to be dealt with, right? They need to be adjusted. Um, again, if I'm if I'm short a bunch of puts and short a bunch of stock, and suddenly my put options expire, I don't need to be short stock anymore. So I got to buy stock back, right? And, th and that's the type of flow that maybe would impact uh, impact the market. And so um, there are a lot of systemic, uh, systematic, I should say, uh, positions that big funds, a la Bridgewater and J.P. Morgan, as I mentioned before, they'll they'll usually use the quarterly expiration. Uh, so that's the March, June, September, December. Those quarterly expirations is where really big players will will hedge their portfolios or, or enter the market. Um, and, and those expirations tend to carry even more weight uh, because one, the, the, the options positions tied to those expirations are much larger. Uh, and obviously that, that is linked to bigger hedging flows, we believe. Um, so, so again, every third Friday, there's a fairly large or, you know, and the size will change a little bit, you know, ebb and flow. Um, and then on those quarterly expirations are, are generally where there's really big, consistent positions. As an example of looking at how options positioning might tell us about what's going to happen in the future of the market, I thought March 2020 would be a really interesting thing to look at, both from the perspective of, you know, at, at the time, I know before the whole crash happened, you had seen some things in the option market that might have said, all right, something significant might be coming. And then also, the, as we mentioned, the bottom was on an options expiration day. So there might have been some things options could have told us about what was coming and also maybe when it was going to end. So maybe if you could, wondering if you could talk through that period and sort of what options told us, you know, coming into those things. Yeah. So one of the basic metrics that um, not, not only Spot Gamma produces, and, and there's a few other people that will talk about this if you look on Twitter, but it's that, the idea of the gamma flip, the gamma flip level. And basically what that tells you is we talked about, again, this idea between positive gamma and negative gamma. And basically positive gamma infers that options dealers are supporting the market, right? And and the idea is there that in general, you can be bullish in the market when we're above that gamma flip line or when there's positive gamma and and when we trade below that level so there's a certain strike there's a, a specific strike we calculate at which we say gamma flips from positive to negative and basically the signal is when gamma flips from positive to negative that suddenly that means that dealers are no longer supporting the market and that volatility may spike 
And so what's fascinating is in February of 2020, the market was at or near all time highs and there was a fairly large monthly expiration um, and, and gamma flipped right on that expiration. So basically all of these call options got wiped out and, and that meant that the market was more vulnerable to, to some downside there because of the fact that we believe that dealers are suddenly going to be supporting the market, again, positive gamma, to, to a negative gamma position, which means that if the market started to sell, they would start to sell futures. And it, and it so happens that, that right around that time, um, I don't know if you guys remember that. I'm sure you remember that environment. But I think a lot of us were scratching our heads thinking like, you know, China was shutting down and it was clear that COVID was coming this big thing. But the market just kind of seemed to kind of keep chugging along. And it was like, it's like the market didn't care, right? And then suddenly it was like, bam, one day it just really cared. And, and it was at February options expiration, if you look at a chart, third Friday, uh, third Friday in February where things really broke, right? And, and, and we think that the, the market basically really lost that fairly large options support. And it played into some bad news, you know, in credit markets and things like that. And we really cascaded lower, right? So once we flipped into that negative gamma position in, in, uh, in late February, the market cascaded lower and then the bottom is the monday after the march expiration so march is the quarterly expiration as i mentioned um and typically what you'll see is the monday after these big options expirations where huge put positions are expiring and that was the case in march you had massive put positions deep in the money put positions expire and then you'll see the low will come in typically the monday morning after these big expirations and we'll get a really sharp rally after that um, and, and that's exactly what happened, as you mentioned, March of 2020. I can also point to December of 2018. If you remember the, that Christmas day, uh, Christmas Eve day, Mnuchin was calling the banks and, and it was real kind of ugly day in the market. Well, that day, that Christmas Eve day was also the Friday after a big December options expiration. Um, and on, on this chart that we've mentioned here, you know, there, there's a bunch of other other turning points. But basically, the, the, the theory here, the idea here is that you have really big deep in the money options positions. Dealers are hedge short futures or other ways to hedge those positions. And suddenly, bam, all these options expire on expiration day. And then on a Monday, dealers have all these shorts, right? And other people have all these shorts, which used to be hedged against puts, but those puts are now gone. So you got to buy back those, you know, short positions, right? And, that, and that's kind of what causes the rally. And so is the idea that the more in the money the options are, the more likely you're going to get some sort of pivot or some sort of major change around expiration? That's exactly right. And, and so that's what we look at, what's called delta. So um, deltas, big deltas are, are what we measure for the impact of options expiration. So if you look at today's expiration, it's not a particularly big delta expiration. And, and, and so like we're looking for a little rally uh, today into Monday. I haven't checked the market here in a few minutes and that's not really materializing. But if you look at, and we have this pictured on, a, on slide 10, um, we weighted the expirations, the current expirations by deltas. And you can see 617 has this massive put position, right? And the lower the market goes into 617, the bigger that put delta is, right? Because these puts are going deeper and deeper in the money. As the options go more in the money, the bigger the delta gets, right? And, and that is basically telling us that the bigger the hedges tied to those stocks are getting. So on 617, we would love to see the market kind of cratering into that that 617 June expiration, because that tells us, look, there's a good chance for a big old bounce here because of the fact that all these puts are about to get wiped out. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, if you were, if we were going to get, so a lot of people have been saying, you know, we might be getting a significant bottom today on the May expiration, but it, it sounds like you're thinking maybe if we're going to get that, it's more likely in June. Right. So kind of, you know, today, today had what we call a decent amount of gamma expiring and, and gamma is that 
idea of pinning, right? If you have a big game expiring, then that leads us to generally think you could get a little bit of pinning in and around the expiration. But it's the it's the delta that's going to drive that that big you know V bottom. So even even so, we mentioned kind of uh, you know January. So the January low again was the Monday after uh, options expiration. We got a real sizable bounce there. This past March was a really interesting one because we had FOMC two days before. Right, um, and if you remember, we were very low heading into the FOMC, and then we got a 10% rally from the Wednesday FOMC through the March expiration. Um, and again, so it was like FOMC oftentimes also lines up with these big put options expiring, and that can give you kind of that extra extra boost there to a bounce. But basically, the other thing to note about this is that a lot of times we think you can frame this as short covering because if you think about what it is, is if if people are short have short hedges on, they don't need those anymore, they buy those hedges back. And as we all know, like short covering rallies can be very violent and explosive, but they're typically not well supported, right? That, that's kind of the theory, you know, you guys have been in the market for a long time and, and short covering rallies are, are oftentimes, again, violent, but may not persist. I want to work through just as, a, as an example of a ways to use some of these concepts in practice. I wanted to kind of look at the current market and work through some of these slides you gave us. So the first one I want to talk about is this slide. The S&P 500 has a max put position. Um, you're talking about SPX Delta tilt. So I'm wondering if you could maybe talk about this slide and maybe what it's telling us about where we are in the current market right now. Yeah. So what Delta tilt measures is the amount of put Delta against the amount of call Delta. So are puts deep in the money or are calls deep in the money? And so if you look at this chart, you can see that the fact that that green line is all the way at the bottom of our chart tells us that we have as much put exposure in the market right now as we've arguably had ever. Now, my data doesn't go back on this chart farther than 2016, but you can see that we are at where the uh, the put position was in March of 2020 and December of 2018, which were you know significant market lows. So that tells us from this from this perspective that there are very many big deep there are large deep in the money put positions. There are big hedges on in the market, and those hedges aren't going to be removed until the June expiration, right? So so if this tilt if this tilt position kept going lower, one, it would be amazing that we would have bigger put positions than March of 2020. Uh, but two, that would tell us that people are adding or buying more put positions. And and we're just not seeing that at the moment. Now, if the market drops another 5% here, we would see that delta tilt indicator move lower because puts are gaining in value. Um, but But from our lens, the market has on a very large hedge at the moment. And that doesn't seem to be materially changing. This has been interesting to me because, you know, if you, no matter what you look at in terms of sentiment and positioning, everything is bearish. I mean, if, if you're on Twitter right now, you want to go build like a vault in your backyard and go get some gold and, and bury it in there. But like everybody's been saying the whole time, you know, sentiment is so negative. Positioning is so negative. We're going to go up. And, you know, we haven't been going up. So it's like it's, it's interesting how that just continues to persist. Um, and maybe, like you said, I mean, maybe that, that comes to a head at some point, whether it's the June expiration or something like that. But it, it's been interesting to me to see all the negativity. And, you know, usually those people are wrong. And in this case, they've been, you know, they've been largely correct. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's that's kind of like the, 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 the most bullish indicator is that everyone else is so bearish. I mean, um, from a positioning standpoint, too, it's, it's hard to want to short stocks that everyone else is short. From, a, from an options lens, implied volatility is pretty expensive. And so if you're buying put options here, you almost need like a capitulation 5% down day to make those options pay off, right? The risk reward in, 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 in shorting in this market or, or buying puts is, you know, it's hard to, to say that's going to pay off. Now, of course, the market just keeps going down 2 or 3% every single day. But, you know, the, I think it was last Friday, um, 
suddenly, you know, GameStop and AMC and a bunch of these meme stocks ripped like 30% in the course of 20 minutes. Those moves reverted very quickly, but it just highlights, you know, the risk of being short in this kind of illiquid market where everything is so, you know, one-sided. Your, your next slide, I think, talks to some of these same points we've been talking about. Can you, can you talk about this idea that the options market is fully hedged? So what we're looking at here is the implied volatility of, of spiders. And that and this is the implied volatility, again, ties into the VIX, but basically tells us how much options are pricing in for a move. That's what implied volatility is. And so you can see on this chart here that we're at highs, right? And this is looking at what's called the 25 delta options. So 25 delta options are just a little bit out of the money. So if you're going to buy a put, some people would buy roughly a 25 delta put, slightly out of the money. Uh, and basically what that tells us is that people are paying up for insurance or the value of those puts is is high right but it's nowhere near uh march of 2020 which is all the way to the left of that slide so just to give you an example if you're reading implied volatility right now for these options is roughly a 40 uh versus 140 at the peak of the march of 2020 crash so it's very strange to people and 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 it's a bit of a of an enigma the fact that the market keeps going lower right uh but volatility is still under implied volatility is still under um ultimately the 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 day that uh, russia invaded ukraine i mean that that was the intraday vix high and now the market i think is a good 200 points under there uh in the s p but implied volatility right the cost or the value of puts is not is not really going higher this has been one of my biggest lessons in learning about options is this idea that the more people are hedging for a specific event the less likely you're going to get any actually get anything off of that event so like the trump election was a good example you know in terms of like everybody was hedging the trump election it seemed like and you can correct me if i'm wrong it seemed like anything could have happened almost in the trump election and the market was not going to go down and volatility was going to fall so i mean is, is that what you kind of see is like the more the people are hedging for these events the less likely you're going to get anything yeah, you, you, you're 100% right. And, that, and that's why I was mentioning, I think, before, before uh, we, we went live here that, that for a directional trader, I think this market is, is really challenging. And, and if you're an options trader, it actually presents, presents a, lot of, uh, a lot of new opportunities because implied volatility can get so crazy in the market. And sometimes that's a function of just supply and demand um, from, from sometimes unsophisticated players. So I'll give you one example. You know, last week, again, the meme stocks were, were under pressure and there was all these rumors that Coinbase was going to go out of business. I don't know much about Coinbase's business, uh, but the stock was trading at $50 and the January straddle was going for $40. And so basically what that told you is that people were basically pricing in bankruptcy for Coinbase. Um, and and the risk of betting against that was was essentially uh, just 10% of the value of the company, right? So from an options perspective, that's like a really fat pitch to, to, to have thrown your way because that I, the risk reward there is so good because uh, implied volatility gets so crazy. And it's the same thing with what you mentioned on the Trump election in that people are pricing in, you know, everybody wants to hedge the, the presidential election to such a point that well, what actually happens on inauguration, I mean, probably nothing, right? I mean, maybe Trump changes things over the next six to eight months, but you know, I don't know what's really gonna happen. The same thing happens with every Fed event, right? People wanna hedge the Fed, the FOMC events, because they think that this, you know, crazy statement's gonna come out of the Fed's mouth and odds are he's just gonna stay in line with, you know, whatever it was that people were expecting. And maybe there's a small shift, but it's likely not something that's gonna cause the market to move five to 10%, right, on that event. You could kind of tie it back to horse racing. I don't know if you guys watched the Kentucky Derby and, you know, the, the horse was 75 to one or something, right? 
everybody, nobody wants to bet on that horse at all. And it's almost like he's so skewed, like you might as well just pay the two bucks to bet on the horse that no one else wants. Because if you pick the favorite, what are you going to make? You're going to make a dollar 25 or sorry, you make $2 and 25 cents on a $2 bet, right? The risk reward is horrible. But man, if you hit the horse that's 50 to one, you make $130 on that $2 bet. So that's the kind of, that's the sort of situation, you know, that presents itself in the options market now where the, the, the tails are so are, are the odds of a tail move are so common you know target dropped 25 percent you know uh after its earnings cisco dropped 10 percent after its earnings people are starting to price in these just massive moves and so the risk reward of bets is 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 really intriguing now uh through an options perspective and this might play a little bit into this last slide i wanted to go over which is this idea of record vix call positions so this is effectively telling us that a lot of people are, are buying calls in the vix right now right so it gets to the idea of a lot of people you know hedging for some sort of major event yeah that's exactly right this ties exactly to that delta max put position right if you were going to hedge the market dropping 10 or 20 percent you're either going to buy puts in the spx and the s p 500 or you would buy vix calls right because typically when the market crashes vix spikes up well we think that this fact that there's not much demand for puts now because they're fairly expensive uh, also relates to this idea of there being huge VIX call positions. It's kind of a similar scenario, right? In this case, when traders are buying calls, dealers are going to be uh, short VIX calls and they're going to own some type of volatility hedge you know, against that position. And we think what that really is doing is saying like, look, the market, again, VIX calls and, and S&P puts are, are very similar partners here in big bets that the market's going to drop. And so the market is just very well hedged and that leads us to just a, a, a decline from whatever the force is that's selling because we're not getting a big new additional grab for either VIX calls or S&P puts, the VIX isn't spiking and we're not getting this limit down day. And I think a big part of that not getting a limit down day is the fact that the market is well hedged. Um, so we get natural sellers here and, and you know, degrossing or you know people just saying look i don't want to own s&p i don't want to own stocks anymore because the yield on treasuries is, is enticing so you know you get that slow natural flow going as opposed to just this ultimate kind of violent puke uh you know limit down day just one more for me before i hand it back to justin i want to ask you about applying this to single stocks so what can sort of the positioning of option dealers in single stocks tell us? You know, if I'm somebody who wants to, for instance, invest in a certain stock, can it, can it tell me something about entry points or, you know, what, what can we kind of learn from looking at a specific stock and looking at how dealers are positioned? Absolutely. So the, the, the most interesting thing to look at for investors is to watch these big expirations, right? Because a lot of times there will be movements in stocks that people can't explain, right? You search for news, you know, stock may be up or down two or 3%. You're looking for news or you're trying to figure out what happened and you're scratching for a narrative, right? Check the options market. Because if you see anyone who has a brokerage system that has options trading, you can look at the options montage, right? And you can see, okay, how many calls are trading, right? How many puts are trading today? Is it an options expiration? That can oftentimes help, help you to ascertain what is moving the stock. Now there's some more sophisticated tools like we offer at Spot Gamble, which will tell you succinctly exactly you know the size of stuff expiring and how much flow is coming into your day. But you can do it again with free tools through a brokerage where you can say, okay, look at how many calls traded today in Tesla. Um, the shorter data the calls are, the more impact those have in the market, right? So you can figure out if that's moving a stock. Um, if you are if you see big movement after an options expiration or into an options expiration, 
you can likely tie the movement of the stock to that expiration. So you know that sort of, I don't want to call it artificial flow, but it is something of a positional impact, right? Um, and that may, may be why stock is down. So if you love allocating to your Apple position over time, look for a big options expiration and weakness into a big options expiration as an interesting time to invest because you know that there's this sort of exogenous factor that's, that's pushing down on the stock. Brent, where if someone was just sort of new to options and just getting um, started, which obviously a whole uh, set of investors, especially younger investors, um, you know, were aggressively buying options, at least um, during the during the COVID, you know, shutdown and stuff when options were becoming popular. But what 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 resources and tools would you um, recommend someone sort of turn to or go to um, to sort of start learning about options? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, YouTube is an obvious answer. There, there's tons of channels. We put a lot of videos out, but there's a lot of great resources there. Uh, there's, a, there's a free book, um, which is if you, if you search for trading volatility book, uh, it comes up. It's, a, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you probably pay 50 bucks for on Amazon. Maybe you can still buy it on Amazon, but the guy just offers it for free, Colin Bennett. And that is a, that is a wealth of information. It takes you through you know, a lot of complex uh, theories and ideas in, in the options market. So if you really want to dig in, that's a great free resource. Uh, but, you know, in general, I would say, you know, look at YouTube. And and one of the things that often upsets me a little bit is, is people look at these these payoff diagrams. You know, you've seen them before. Like if you buy a call, you get these two straight lines, right? And it doesn't necessarily tell you um, what the impact is or, or how the position will necessarily move against you. So there are these free sheets that you can get on Excel, and they, and they model Black uh, they model Black Scholes. So if you just Google again Black Scholes Excel model, and what that does is it shows you um, for different parameters how an options price will change. So in this in an Excel sheet, you can say, okay, let's say I bought a hundred dollar call in whatever Apple, right? And if the stock moves, what will my position do? If implied volatility goes up or down, how will the value of my position change? And I think that's an excellent way for for traders to kind of come to understand the kind of the use of options, and also what's a good intelligent way to uh, deploy options in my portfolio. I mean, options is about a bet on the distribution of prices, right? If I buy an option, I'm, I'm, I'm making a bet on how much I think the stock is going to move. And so if you understand that and you also understand that supply and demand drives the prices of options, that gives you a good idea of how to deploy options. If everyone in the world is buying a call or right now everyone in the world is buying puts, right, that drives the price of options. And that changes the dynamic of, of payoffs, right? You can use this rule of 16 again to, to understand this. But basically, the, the key thing I'm trying to get at here is that Understanding the payoff probability of what you're trying to get into um, is one of the most important parts. So understand when you buy a call, you know, what is the payoff that you're actually betting on, right? What is it? How much movement do you need for that option to pay off? And, and the best way to play with that is, is through a, a basic Excel sheet. And you can get those for free on, free online. That's great. And we'll even put, try to find this stuff and put links to it in the, uh, the show notes. So if people want to look there to maybe you know, access some of these, uh, resources, um, that, you know, we'll put links in there, which is, which is awesome. Um, um, so we, we do have a standard closing question. We like to ask all of our guests and you can go wherever you want with it. You can, we can stay in the options lane or you could talk about this outside of options, however you want to do it. But the, the, the question we like to ask all of our guests is based on your experience in the markets and the research that you're doing, if you could impart one piece of wisdom or teach one lesson to your average investor, what would that be? Yeah, I, I think the, um, 
I think that the thing here that people need to realize is that um, th there's no need to be a hero in today's market. I think that a lot of people want to try to buy the dip in the market and maybe sort of assume in this market that that the, the moves have already happened, right? But there's a correlation between high volatility and, and more volatility in the future. Um, you know, tail risks tend to, to cluster. And so I bring that up because in this environment, um, you can get great payoffs from small bets because the market moves so much. And, there, and there's no reason to, to take on excessive risk in this type of market. And the other thing that I, that I saw a lot of times in, in times of, of crashes in, is that the, the rules of the game can change on people. And I think that GameStop in, in 2021 was, was a real highlight of that, right? People who were long GameStop and Robinhood turned off the buy button, right? There are these things that can happen that, that people can't really plan for. You remember the LME like broke trades in the nickel, right? And nickel went up like 15,000% or something. And so um, the, the same thing can also happen with margin rates, right? The margin rate today you have with the broker may change tomorrow. And so um, all these things are fluid. And so I, I think the, the thing I'm trying to impart here is that these are very risky markets here. But you can get great payoffs from from smaller bets because the market is moving so much, and and there's a lot of time to be made up in, in a rally. And so you know, trying to catch the bottom or taking on excessive risk here, uh, it's a very dangerous market, both being wrong directionally in, in either way. Um, and and so reducing that risk and, and being aware of of some of these you know tail risk factors uh, is really important. Great, thank you, Brent. If people want to learn more about um, Spot Gamma, if they want to follow you on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you have anything else um, where people can follow you, but I mean, where can they go to um, learn more about what you're up to? Thanks. So, so we have a, a, a nice presence on Twitter. I'm at Spot Gamma on Twitter. Um, I talk about positioning kind of all day long through there. We have a lot of videos on YouTube that we talk about uh, both educational resources where we focus on a certain topic, but also just uh, interesting conversations with, with guys like yourself. And then uh, if you go to spotgamma.com, we have a bunch of different memberships and everything we do is trying to predict how the uh, stock market will be impacted by options. So we offer a free trial there, seven days. You can, you can try it out. Uh, we send a daily note, which is what most people look for, uh, where we sort of lay out what we're seeing in the options market and, and how that may drive short-term flows. Great. Thank you so much, Brent. This has been awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Had a great time. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at PracticalQuant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJCarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.